Let's see what our situation is here. I was going to say maybe we'll finish today, but I don't think we will. It looks like we'll finish next session. Inshallah. It's pretty good. So 15, 16 sessions. It's not bad. Alhamdulillah. Alright, Bismillah. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam wa sallam. We left off where the author said, Rahimahafidahullah ta'ala wa nafanallahu yahu bi ulumi fi darin ameen. May Allah preserve him and give us <coughs> and him benefit from his knowledge in this life and the next. Amen. Number 35, approach people with good judgment, talk to everyone according to their degree of knowledge. I think this is where we were, right? Anyone remember? Farooq, are you ready? Huh? 32, 33, 34. Finish 34, I think. Yeah, anyone? Anyone else? No? We didn't finish it, we weren't here. 34 was forgive, even if you are able to punish, choose forgiveness rather than scolding and punishing. We did the heart of the person who was punished and scolded narrows and he finds it very difficult to accept his mistake. Yeah, we did that. <coughs> Alright, so we're on 35. Uh, before I begin, just, uh, you know, it's raining. Alhamdulillah, that we have homes and uh, we have shelter. And it just makes me think from the bottom of my heart. May Allah's curse be on the oppressors. May the curse and punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be on the oppressors. And may Allah give victory and aid and support to our brothers and sisters in Ghazan. Allahumma ameen. So 35. Approach people with good judgment. Talk to everyone according to their degree of knowledge. The life of our beloved Prophet wasallam is full of instances where he talked to children, Bedouins from the desert, and scholars and philosophers who were formerly Magian, Jewish, or Christian. What is striking in his approach is that he would adapt his speech to the level of his correspondent. This way, he made sure that his message was received in the most beautiful and adequate manner. This is a very difficult thing to do. One of the things when you, when you read the life of the Prophet ﷺ and you see this, it's important that we remind ourselves that this is a very difficult thing to do. Um, you know, some people probably have to do it a lot. Physicians probably have a lot of experience in dealing with this. Because you're dealing with pretty much everyone, you know. So, any kind of person who's going to come to you, you have to be able to speak to them, help them understand what's happening. Ideally, religious teachers are like that too. But this is, you, we can say that this is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that he made clear. It is a principle of futuwa to approach all people without any prejudice and to have good thoughts towards all people. When you see someone doing something that is outwardly wrong, the best reaction would be to investigate first whether there is a legitimate reason behind it. As when you are faced with some actions, 
which carry the, po the equal probability of being good or bad. The safest guess is, guess is to assume that they are good. By doing so, you will avoid developing any feelings of hostility or enmity towards your friends because of your misjudgments. When you fall into deeper doubt, it would be safest to ask your friend directly about the reason why they engaged in a behavior which seemed wrong to you. Okay, so this is good. So the first issue here <coughs> is being able to speak to a diverse audience. Speak to different people with different experiences, different ways of speaking, different realities. Um, SubhanAllah, where did this come up recently? It's a little bit of feedback still. <laughs> Sorry, it drives me crazy. I don't know if it's like, you guys are the same, but it makes me, uh, if we can fix it, it would be great. Thank you, Father. Um, something happened recently that was like this. And you might have to turn the volume. I don't know. It's too low, right? It's okay? Oh, okay. Because I probably might get lower. You're okay. You're okay, you're okay. Alhamdulillah. All right. So there was something that happened. I can't remember it. But anyways, it happens all the time. There might be some case, some circumstance. You're like, okay, I can give you the principle that you should be working with, but you know better how to deal with your people. You know better how to talk to the people you're with, the people you're around, so on and so forth. You know better the situation. I can't tell you how to make this work there. If I do that, it's going to make a problem. But if you do it, you know what to do, right? We talked about before this ideal of Arsan Hakiman Walatu Wasi that send someone who is wise and don't tell them what to do. Right? Give them the concept. You don't tell them what to do. And uh, we have to learn to be able to handle that. In any case, uh, you talk to different people in different ways. And the second thing that's coming out of this is that approaching people without prejudice. So why does this, why? You know, one of the things one could think about is these are coming together, why? And I think one of the reasons why perhaps he mentioned these together is because when you have people <coughs> of varying backgrounds, like if I'm looking at it from the perspective of my experience, which my language is connected to, right? Or my way of speaking is connected to, then I might interpret it in a way that's negative. But in the experience of that person, it's not negative. One story comes to mind, it always, uh, um, I have to be careful with this story. It's, I think sometimes for Americans, it's hard to step out of the confines of our experience sometimes. Um, maybe I'll start with a different story and then it will lead into it. There's a lot of the mashaykh when we would see them in Egypt, a lot of the shiuch in Egypt, when they teach, they're very harsh. It's almost like part of the culture of teaching, you know. Um, they're very harsh, they're very demanding, they expect you to be on top of your stuff, they're always telling you something, and if you get it wrong, they'll pretty much like make fun of you and tell you you're a ghabi and stuff like that, and they'll tell you you're an idiot, you know. <laughs> it's kind of like part of the system, you know. And as a Westerner, you come in, you're looking at it, you're like, this is insane. What does this have to do with the way of the Prophet them, and so on? And it's true. There's a, there's a level of it that's true. But you would see some people that would take it too far. And you would see some people who were maybe a little bit harsher than what we were accustomed to. But they wouldn't take it too far. You know, like they wouldn't humiliate people. They wouldn't call them names. They wouldn't do that kind of stuff. They'd just be a little bit like demanding with them. 
And after I sat in classes in Egypt for a long time, I started to realize what's happening. Because you have this phenomenon where, first of all, anyone can come into the class usually. Like if you're in Masjid al-Azhar, anyone will come in. You have people who are serious students of knowledge. And you have a random person who lives in the neighborhood, just wants to like sit in a class. They come and they sit down, right? And then you have people who ask all kinds of questions. And if you leave them to just ask all their questions and you answer all their questions really politely and nicely and so on, you will never teach anything. Like every five minutes someone will come in and say something that doesn't make any sense or they'll ask a question. You'll never get anywhere. So the shuyukh have to take this kind of posture. It's a little bit like, when, when done right, it's a little bit strict, but it's not uh, abusive. Okay? But if they didn't take it, you wouldn't be able to teach at all. Uh, so what does this relate to? Is that one time we were sitting with one of our teachers, and in the place uh, that we were studying, they have like someone who brings tea, you know? And everyone knows each other. Of course, like the teachers know each other, the tea guy knows each other, the admin knows each other, everyone knows each other. So one time when he asked this tea guy to do something, and then he didn't do it, he kind of like, again, it wasn't too harsh, but like a little bit strict, told him like, what's wrong with you? You know, I told you to do it this way, how come you didn't do it type thing? And he saw the way that we looked at him. We were kind of like, what are you doing, you know? And he told us, he's like, listen, I know what you're thinking, but you need to know that you don't understand this country. You don't know the way that we work, we don't know the way that we function, you don't know how we interact with each other, and I do. <laughs> so I know you don't understand this, but I know what I'm doing, you know? Uh, my point is that, what was the whole point in this? Is that if we don't understand that different people have different experiences, not only how we speak to them, but also how we interpret something might be wrong. We might look at it and be like, oh, you know, this person is being rude, this person's bad-mannered, this person is this, this person is that, so on and so forth, but it's not actually. Because there is a space, there is a little bit of gray area. Like there is a line where it does become bad manners. And there is a line where it might be bad manners from my particular cultural experience and perspective. And there may be a line where that same thing is not bad manners for someone else in their cultural experience and in reality. You understand what I'm saying? That's a little bit messy. I so he's bringing this now into uh, relationships. So now it's teaching us to... Um, embrace this grayness. I think this is sometimes for us as a people, this is a challenging issue. We make everything into black and white stuff and there's no gray. There, some things truly are black and white. Like we have five daily prayers, alhamdulillah. And we do have zakat. And oppression is a major sin. And you shouldn't steal stuff from people. People should have good character. Allah is God. You know, there are some things that are very black and white. There are some things, in concept they're black and white, but in reality, they can be a little bit different. Like even when we say you should be justice. Okay, justice is, as a concept, it's black and white. There should be justice. What that means gets a little bit complicated. You know, what's unjust, what's not unjust, uh, what's right, what's not right, gets a little bit difficult to know. Now when we're dealing with our friends and people who we love and we hold dear, we may sometimes see things from them that we don't really understand. Okay? And what he's saying here is that when you see someone doing something that is outwardly wrong, the best reaction would be to investigate first whether there's a legitimate reason behind it. Okay? So it looks wrong, but is there a reason for it? 
you can probably think of a million different scenarios for this, but the reality is that sometimes things look wrong, but they're not wrong. Uh, I think I told you the story of the, the door person in the building who acted very harshly with their child when they ran towards the street when we were in Egypt, you know? I think I told you that story, right? People who come a lot, no? Anyways, briefly, the story is that when you're in Egypt, like it's very common in upper middle class type areas that the building has a door person. And that door person will run errands and they take care of the building and stuff like that. And their family usually lives kind of like in the basement or the bottom of the building, you know? Usually in, to be honest, like not the best circumstances. They're not usually treated the best either. Anyways, they're living there. They live on the bottom of the building. And there's a street in front of the building, right? And their whole life is in the bottom of the building. And they have little kids. And they're, they're, the whole, their whole life is in a small little room. It's not like it's a house where you have different bedrooms and people can use different spaces and stuff. Their whole existence is probably like a 10 by 10 room. You know, That's the living room and the kitchen and the bedroom and everything. So the kids, obviously, they're going to spend most of their day outside. right? Like in, the, in, the alley, in, the, in front of the building, on the side of the building, stuff like that. But in the front, there's a street, right? So if you have a small child, they have to understand with the utmost clarity from a very early age that you cannot run into the street, right? This is extremely important. And you as the person whose job it is to take care of the building, you're not going to be there a lot of the times, you know? Like if someone comes down, they say, can you go get some, some vegetables for me? You go and get the vegetables. It might take you five minutes, but you're going to go get the vegetables, you come back. You're going to go get this from me, go get this. So you're not always there to be watching. And maybe like you have three kids, right? So you're not watching the kids and the wife is with one of the kids because there's always like multiple kids, different ages, right? And the other ones are outside. Like they have to understand I cannot run into the street. So the, what happened was that one day I was there and one of the small kids took off just like, you know, kids. Somehow they always find the one place they shouldn't be, right? It's like subhanAllah. <laughs> he had all this space. And you chose right there, you know. So the kid takes off to the street. The last second, like the, I think it was the mom, saw that the kid was uh, getting close to the street. She ran after the kid and grabbed him at the last second, started spanking him like really hard. <laughs> at the last second, she caught him and she gave him this, this spanking, you know. And I, from my perspective, also I didn't grow up in, you know, I, I know that our families are diverse. I didn't grow up with this kind of parenting. So for me, it was a little bit shocking, you know, uh, to see it. So I, I saw it and I was like, and at first, my first response was like, hmm, I didn't like it, you know. I wouldn't say that it was abusive, okay. She gave him like a good spanking, but it wasn't like, she didn't like lay him on the ground and just, you know, it was like she gave him a good spanking, it was done. And then I sat for a while, like I sat and I thought about it, I thought about it, I thought about it. I was like, you know what, I understand. Like she, she needs that child to understand that he cannot run into the street. She won't always be able to watch him. She, he has to understand this, right? You can agree, you can disagree. My point is that if there's a... I looked at that and I was like, it doesn't look right. But you can find some way to interpret it. Maybe someone is like dealing with... They're yelling at someone. And you're like, oh my God, why are they yelling at this person? Maybe you didn't see what happened like five minutes earlier. And there was a reason why they're actually... They had to take this position with this person, you know. SubhanAllah. So stuff is like that. That's number one. Number two is, you're faced with a possibility. It could be equally good and bad. So the safer way, obviously, is to assume that there's a good interpretation to it. He says, by doing so, you avoid developing any feelings of hostility or an enmity towards your friends because of your misjudgments. I don't know about you, but 
If you don't feel like this happens to you in your life, what I would encourage us to do is to try to pay attention to it more. Uh, because it's, I think it's very likely that either you're a really good person, like, mashallah, or we don't even realize when we're doing it. Uh, there's something that happened. SubhanAllah, I was thinking about this just this week. There's something that happened. SubhanAllah. But there is something that happened. Like the immediate interpretation was that it was bad or it was wrong or something, you know? And then it turned out with a little bit of explanation that it wasn't at all. Like what the person did was totally acceptable and it was right. But what happens if we're not on guard about this is that we start to have these negative feelings towards other people. We start to build this hostility, this judgment um, in our hearts, and our hearts start to turn away from the people. Now, one of the challenging things here also is to, that's step, this is like stage one, you know, what I just described. Stage two would be people do things and you don't agree with them, and you don't think they're right, and you don't think it's the right way, and you don't think it's the best way. And you simultaneously hold that position while protecting the heart from thinking negatively about the other person. That one's much harder, right? And this has come up many times here before. Uh, the statement of Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jilani radiallahu ta'ala anhu that he said, Aydina tuqim al-had wa qulubana tura'iyun wud. That our hands, they carry out the punishment and our hearts maintain the love. He's like, the heart didn't change how they feel about the person. And yet this thing is wrong, you know? That one's really tough. And I think this is one of the ones sometimes in community life that is really challenging. Because it's like, yes, I know you, and I love you, and you came to the hospital when my child was sick, and you married my cousin, and I grew up with you, and you did so many things right, and this thing that you did is still wrong. You know, and how to like, get through that as a, as a people is, is very difficult, subhanAllah. But it's very important to do. One of the reasons why it's important to do is because it allows us to still be able to see truth as truth and, and falsehood as falsehood. Because sometimes what can happen is either out of our discomfort with this or out of just our goodwill, we stop seeing things as they are. You know? It's like, no, I'm just going to assume the best. I'm going to assume, okay, assuming the best is great. But sometimes there's something that's clearly wrong, right? And yes, I love this person. And yes, it's really uncomfortable for me to hold at the same time my love for this person and my recognition that this thing is wrong. It's really painful to do, right? It can be very hard, but we have to do it. Because again, one of the things that happens if we don't do it is we start to change reality. So to be like, no, actually, it's not, it's not wrong or it's not an issue. Or it is okay. Or no, so and, so and such, such and such is qualified. Or whatever else it might be. Like, no, they're not. <laughs> you know? like, they may have done a lot of things, but it doesn't make them that. You know? May Allah help us. May Allah forgive us. When you fall into deeper doubt, says now you have these misjudgments. When you fall into deeper doubt, it would be safest to ask your friend directly about the reason why they engaged in the behavior which seemed wrong to you. Okay, so this is now it's the thing that you saw. And it caused doubt. If it can be interpreted to be good, you interpret it to be good. If it can't, or it keeps repeating itself and it's starting to cause the person doubt now, well, we need to talk to them directly. This is also a thing that I think um, 
It can be lost and is extremely important to regain and to do right. Which is, how do I just speak to someone directly about something that's bothering me? You know? so, uh, we all know it's not the easiest thing. Usually, because we haven't adequately dealt with the uneasiness of it, the way that we do it is kind of like harsh. So it's not about actually talking about the issue anymore. Like, and then also because a lot of times when we talk to people about these things, they respond in ways that are not really the best. You know? But really, we should be able to, as a people, talk to each other. And be like, hey, you know. And one of the reasons why, you know, I've said this before, but one of the reasons why we tried to build community the way that we are in the Majlis and we have all these endless classes on these things and stuff is because although they're kind of like not the most complicated concepts, they're difficult concepts in practice. And so we need constant reviews. And we need, as a group, to all be on the same page. Right? So, like, we've been studying the same thing that deals with this issue. So everyone's on the same page. Person X is on the page that, if I'm going to give advice, I should make sure that I'm giving it where it's worthy to be given. And I should make sure that I've given the person the benefit of the doubt. And I should make sure that I give them advice in a way that's appropriate and private and so on and so forth. And the person Y who's receiving it is also on the same page. Like, I have my own shortcomings and I have my own weaknesses. And if other people don't give me advice, I won't see them. And I'll be stuck with them for the rest of my life. So I need to be able to accept that. And I know that if someone comes to me, it might be difficult a little bit. But if they come to me, especially they do it nicely, I should receive it. So everyone now is on the same page working through that together. right? So that we can have that. Because if we don't have that again, it becomes really problematic. Uh, we have to have like this honesty. <clears throat> As for your expectation for people in your relationships, they should be in accordance with their levels of intelligence and knowledge. You should always make sure that you address people in a way that they can understand because your addressee's perception and evaluation of what you say is more important than what you do or why you do it. As such, you would avoid being misunderstood or misinterpreted for some words or actions that you have said or done with good intentions. Okay, so there's a lot of good stuff here. Number one, the first line, I think, again, you know, for people here, he says, your expectation should be in accordance with the people's intelligence and their knowledge. For a lot of Americans, you, people, Americans are interesting because even though they accept things in their unspoken world, they won't speak them out loud. Yeah. So in the unspoken world of the American psyche, this is totally accepted. That there are people of different levels of intelligence and knowledge. And you have to deal with them accordingly. But to say that out loud, then people are going to say like, oh, you're an elitist and you're this and you're that and so on and so forth. They like hate you for it. And then they'll turn around and do it. <laughs> they'll turn around and do it. It's, it's like so much of the politics that we see, right? Oh, everyone is equal. Are they really equal? Do you really feel that? No, you don't, because you made African Americans three-fifths of a person when you made this country, right? And, you, and people were enslaved and all of these different things. Women didn't have the right to vote until what time? You know, it's crazy, actually, when you think about it. So did you really think it? No, you didn't think it. But, like, we'll express a certain thing, and the inside is something else. The reality is this, that there are people with different levels of learning and knowledge in the world. And they're different. And you have to talk to them in a way, not out of discriminating against them, out of actually caring for them. 
I want to speak with this person in a way that they can understand, in a way that works for them, in a way that makes sense to them, in a way that they're not going to, you know. And this is one of the big problems of the social media thing, right? You take the clip. Actually, when we started the Medjus, we didn't put anything online. It was only when very few things were online. Then COVID happened and we put, like, started recording everything, putting it online and stuff. Alhamdulillah, up to today, we don't get very many people who watch our things. And it makes me really happy. Yeah. Because I only want people to watch it if they're regularly watching it. I don't want some like, random person to just jump in and watch a clip and then leave. Like, come, watch every week so that you can understand actually what I'm saying in the context of other things that are being said. This doesn't get misunderstood. It doesn't get... And for me, like, I'd rather speak to the people who are right in front of me as, than have to worry about how is this going to be understood if some person in some other place picks it up. And, you know, it's like too difficult to do. But the people in front of you, you understand them and they understand you and everyone has some level of a relationship, right? Anyways, there's different levels of intelligence and knowledge. Always make sure that you address people in a way that can be understood because their perception and evaluation is more important than what you did or why you did it. So in community organizing circles, the, uh, what do they say? They say your intent and your impact. Impact in, uh, is it impact? Impact and intent. Like, okay, so well, I didn't mean that. So well, I'm not asking you to think only about what your intent was. I'm asking you to think about what your impact was. Like, okay, that's, that's what you intended, that's what you thought, that's what you were trying to do, but it wasn't understood that way, right? This is one of the reasons why culture is so important and why our community has such a big issue with this because we have like a million different cultures in the same space, right? And so it's not, it's not being understood that way. Okay, so how do we adjust it, right? Because what they understand is more important than what you did or what you, why you did it. As such, you should avoid being misunderstood and misinterpreted for some words or actions that you have said or done with good intentions. So you try to avoid that misunderstanding. MashaAllah. It's nice, nice point. I feel like this is a good text. I'm happy with this text. I hope you guys are too. There's another one I was telling because there's another book on Futuwa by Imam Dawood Walid. I think it's a good book, but it's a totally different book in many ways. Like... He'll take very general concepts in Islam, like honesty and courage and stuff like that. And he'll give you the definition, give you verses from the Qur'an, hadith, and statements from the righteous people about that thing. It's very good, alhamdulillah. But I feel like this book does something different. Like it kind of digs a little bit deeper and it kind of parses things a little bit more than the, than the general concept. So I, I hope that, may Allah help us to benefit from it. Number 36, prefer the comfort of your friends over yours. A man narrated that he bought a piece of white fabric from a young tradesman called Ahmed ibn Sahan. Uh, Ahmed ibn Sahan. And the latter only took the capital sum. Let me go back. A man narrated that he bought a piece of white fabric from a young tradesman called Ahmed ibn Sahan. And the latter only took the capital sum. So the man asked him, don't you take any profit? He said, I do not take profit because it is not a part of the Futuwa ethics to make gains out of the transactions with friends. <laughs> you know, so what is you understand the story? So he's going to sell 
there's stories of like arguments over this, you know. So the person, the salesman would say, well, you're, you're my brother, I don't want to take any profit from you. And the other one would say, uh, yes, and you're my brother, and I came to you so that I can give you my money so that you can take profit from me. You know, that's why, that's why I came to you. I wanted it to go to you rather than someone else. Which, of course, uh, you know, this is a big issue we need to think about. You know, we should definitely be in-housing much more of our finances. Much more of our finances. There's no reason, and every community goes through this, you know. There's no reason why all of our money should be going to everyone else. I've said it before, and def I think in the Palestine situation, it's become even more clear, right? There's no reason. If our money can stay amongst ourselves, it should stay amongst ourselves. So, uh, so he asked, do you not take profit? He said this. Like theoretically, if someone had the know-how and the ability to run a business, and they could run it, and they didn't make any profit, but they could still run it, that'd be a great thing. I'm not saying they shouldn't bring, make profit. I'm just saying, maybe they have like 10 restaurants, right? And one of the restaurants, they just run it. In this restaurant, there's no intention to make profit. You just run it the way that it is. It's still a good thing, right? Like money is circulating in the economy. Some people have jobs that wouldn't have had jobs otherwise. It's still a good thing. You provided jobs for people. It's huge. Okay, I didn't make any money off it. But five people took care of their family. This is a big thing. You know? So, you know, subhanAllah. As I liked actually one of the things, uh, I was in a, maybe I shouldn't say where it was, but when I was in a community fundraising event very recently. And one of the things that was said was that this community organization is the, is the biggest like community organization employer of Muslims in in the in the region? I was like, that's actually a really good point. Subhanallah, you know, like if 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 you have a community organization that can hire five people, ten people, fifteen people, that's great. Mashallah, twenty people, thirty people. Alhamdulillah. The sum of all fatwa principles forms what we call the law of friendship. Our ancestors called it hukuk al ukhuwa. That is the law of brotherhood. In Islam, all Muslims are considered brothers in religion, and all people are considered brothers in humanity because they are all descendants of Adam. There are three main degrees of friendship or brotherhood. Number one, putting your friend and his needs before yourself. Number two, keeping yourself on the same level as your friend. And number three, putting yourself and your needs before your friends. Okay? So, it's pretty clear. The first level is the level of the prophets, the saints, the people of the people of Futuwa. Putting your friend's needs before your own needs is called ithar. Ithar. Ithar is an important word in Islamic lexicon. Ithar means you put the other person's needs ahead of your own. A friendship based on ithar is one in which people fulfill the needs of their friends before their own needs, show patience to any hardships that they face while safeguarding their friend's comfort, and make concessions or completely give up on their rights for their fellow friends. However, they are meticulous about fulfilling their rights to them in the best way possible. While doing so, they do not fall into the trap of reciprocity by expecting the same behavior in return. In other words, a feta follows the examples of prophets and saints and abides by the highest rules of friendship for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without expecting their friends to do the same in return. So they, they interact in this way and they're not expecting the same. 
commonly what people will say when they think about this is, well, isn't that going to lead to this and this and this and this and this and this? All kinds of abuse and injustice and inadequacy and so on and so forth. Isn't it going to lead to all of these things? Not necessarily. Okay? Not necessarily. One of the things that we should seek in our spiritual journey, so a lot of these books are talking about really elevated ideas of spirituality, right? Before you can get to elevated ideas of spirituality, a person needs to attain like a basic level of wellness. Okay? So like a basic level of wellness and stability and how they are, mentally, emotionally, physically, um, in terms of how they are, they, they would attain like a basic level um, and that would enable them to know the limits on things. So if a person is, um, maybe they're still struggling, this is, it's normal, right? It's, the person is struggling to process things correctly. They're struggling to manage their emotions as they're dealing with situations and stuff. There's a level of that that's absolutely normal. It probably is not going to go away for a vast majority of people. And there's a level of that that actually leads to significant disruption in the person's life. Okay, like, and if I'm like that, all right, if I'm like that, then I should recognize like, okay, I'm having a challenge interpreting things correctly. <laughs> you know, I can rea I realize this. I interpreted this thing this way and it wasn't really right. And I've been doing that a lot. I need to stop and pause and like do better with interpreting things. Or uh, my emotions got a little bit out of hand on that one. And that's been happening. And I don't really feel like, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to have emotions, but I also know that I'm supposed to be able to, you know, have some control over them. And I need to figure this out. Okay, this is, this is my base level. I'm not worried about other things at this point. I need to get to a base level of wellness. Um, because what happens a lot of times is that people hear things and they put them in totally the wrong place. And this is why, again, we've talked about many times, it's not... The idea is not only to learn. And it's the reason why I complicate things all the time in the way that I'm explaining things. Because the idea is not to learn something. The idea is to learn something and attain within ourselves the capacity to put it in the right place. Because our community is filled with challenges of people learning things and then putting them in totally the wrong place. And you're like, wait a second, like that's not, that's not what was meant by that. This didn't mean like destroy your whole family and all of your relationships and your community and like your friendships and just throw it all out the window because like there's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know? And, uh, you know, it's not always that we get to do exactly things, even if we feel a certain way. When we put things, they're not always, um, I don't know. I was talking to my son the other day. He's playing video games, you know? For the record, he plays Nintendo games. By Nintendo, I mean NES. <laughs> like th those are the video games I allow him to play. We have a little retro NES machine. We have the old games from my childhood. He's allowed to play those. Um, and, uh, you know, with limits. This video game thing is dangerous. SubhanAllah, like, you can see people's brains are being really destroyed. And even with him, I'm thinking about doing something about it. But anyways... He was playing video games and he wanted me to play with him, you know. There's always some level that he needs me to beat or whatever. Because it's Nintendo. There's no way. Nintendo was like, there's no way out. If you guys remember that, 
It's like the simplest game, and it's impossible to beat. <laughs> you know, like the first level, you're like, okay, great. And by the time you get to level six, you'll play level six for like ten years. You'll never beat it. You know. So he comes. He's like, can you help me with this? That. Tell him, like, Ismail, I need you to understand something. Like, Ismail, can I best listen? I, and he's like, okay, what's going to happen? You know, what is he about to say? I'm like, I need you to understand. I lived a life of complete stupidity. I did whatever I felt like whenever I wanted. I played thousands of hours of basketball. I listened to huge quantities of garbage music that took over my brain and my heart. I did this and this and this. I didn't treat my parents properly. I did all kinds of things, you know? And I said, and he's like looking at me, he's like, okay. And I'm like, and then I found Islam. And I found all these stories of these righteous people and these beautiful people and these wonderful people. And all I wanted from my life was to be able to do those things. And you keep bothering me and asking me to play these video games. <laughs> I'm not saying you should do this, right? I'm telling you, this is my personal. And then I was like, and I want to play video games with you every now and then. But I don't want to play video games with you all day. I don't want to play with you all morning. I want to do other things. Like there is more to life than staring at this screen right now. And I know that you don't understand that. And I get that. So I'm not going to be like crazy harsh on you about it. So go ahead, play your game. And when I'm done doing what I'm doing right now, I'm not coming right now, you know. I have this thing, I need to finish it. When I finish it, I'm going to come and I'm going to play with you. But don't ask me again. <laughs> wait, in, wait until I'm going to come. So Alhamdulillah, he was like, okay, fine. He understood. And I finished whatever I was finishing and then I came and beat the level and then we moved on, you know. Um, but it's like, why am I saying this? Because I don't feel that that was too much, right? I feel that if I told him, like, I'm never going to play with you, you can't have these video games in the house, you can't have the TV at all, if you can't do this and this and this and this because I don't want us to live like that, maybe it would have been too much. If, if he's at a point where he can understand it, fine. If I can build it in a way, fine. You know, if you can get away with it, fine. But if you can't, you can't. You know? So my point is like we have to be able to think about things, use our mind, use our hearts, have sound judgment, and be like, okay, I, maybe that's not what's meant by this. Maybe it's not meant that like, I have to take it to this level. You know? Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he came and he gave away Sayyidina Umar. You think about the story? Did you ever think about the story when Sayyidina Abu Bakr an? Think about it. He, he, the Prophet asked for the donations, right? I think they were going to jihad. And Abu Bakr came, he gave everything he had. And Umar had given half. All right, Umar came and he gave half. He's excited. He thinks he's going to win this day. He gives half of everything that he has to the Prophet Right? And he tells him, Ya Rasulullah, like today, basically, like, did I, did I beat Abu Bakr today? And the Prophet was like, yeah, Abu Bakr came, he gave everything. <laughs> he gave everything he had. What did Omar do? Did he give the rest of his stuff? You, you catch it? He didn't say, oh no, I should have beat him, I'm going to give everything now. He was like, yeah, that's Abu Bakr, and this is me. Right? So... Even this piece of knowledge, like he could have taken that piece of knowledge and gave away everything that he had. It, would have been the, it wouldn't have been the right way to do it. You understand the point that I'm trying to make? Like, we have to learn these things, we have to put them in their place. Um, uh, so why am I saying this? Preferring our friends over ourselves. Okay. Is it possible then for someone to prefer their friend over themselves and completely ruin their own life and everything in it? Yes, it's possible. Absolutely, 100% it's possible. 
And they, they would do it thinking that they did something righteous, you know? I, but I did this for the sake of my friend and for the sake of Allah. I ruined my family and my home and I, I had to give up my house and I don't have a job anymore, but he has a job now, you know? It's probably not what we're talking about here, you know? But is it possible that someone else can give up many things for the sake of their friend that they themselves need and still have other things in the right place? Yes, that's possible too. But we just need to figure out how can this be done. And that is the character of the Prophets. How did the Prophet ﷺ do it? Essentially, he had shelter that was extremely simple that he could rely on. And he probably had some animals, or at least his neighbors had animals that he could for sure depend on. Like I, I've said this before, but I think about this. You know when we say like the hadith of the Prophet them that in the home of the Prophet them there was no fire that was lit for three months. All that they had was dates and water. Do you think that the only thing they were eating was dates and water? I don't think so. Right? I don't think so. I haven't read this somewhere. I haven't... But I don't think that's all they were eating in three months. I think their neighbors probably had some goats. And they probably milked them some milk and brought them the milk. There's probably people who invited them over to eat and stuff like that. So the Prophet them also part of community is that I can afford, in a sense, to give from things that I need. Because I know that someone else is also going to give from things that they need. And when I give to this person who needs, someone else is going to give to me. So I might be like kind of hungry, I've been living off, uh, I shouldn't say I, a person might be kind of hungry, they've been living off rice or something for a week, but they also get invited and they eat nice and well and then they're okay. You know, people are also much, lived off much simpler means than sometimes what we're accustomed to now. Number 37, compare yourself to those who are ahead of you in religious matters and with those who are below you in worldly matters. Uh, I need to finish next time I took too long So I need to just finish this one inshallah A virtuous person befriends virtuous people The only criterion when choosing a friend Is whether he is virtuous or not Therefore you have to be very careful when choosing your friends If you befriend people who are more virtuous, pious And have better morals than you Your morals will also become better by being influenced by them How does this happen? The Prophet ﷺ, even in a hadith He talked about the different character Of the people who take care of sheep Versus the people who take care of camels the ones who take care of camels, their, adib, their character is in khuyara. They have like a, almost like an arrogance to them, right? Because you're taking care of camels all the time. It's, it's, it requires a certain character. And the person who takes care of sheep, they have a sakina and waqar, he said, sallallahu alayhi wa They have a tranquility and ease to them. What the suhbah of the animal changed them? The suhbah, the company of the animal they were with changed them. What about the people? <laughs> the people, the people that the person is with, they're definitely going to change them. So he's saying that you keep the company of really righteous people, you yourself will be more righteous. That's all we're trying to do. Like, you know, look at, I, look, I look at my life all the time, I'm like, subhanAllah, there's no way I can be like these people. But at least if I'm with them, maybe a little bit will like rub off on me. And maybe if I love them, when Allah rewards them and gives them their place in paradise, maybe I can join them. That's the summary of the whole thing. Right? So why is so it just be around good people? One of the nice things about being around good people, they always see good. They see good in you. They see good in others. They have good things to say. You're like, subhanAllah, you saw that? That's amazing. 
<laughs> you know, like I didn't see that. That's uh, mashallah. When you are with people who are more religious and who have re reached a better morality than you, you will be able to see your shortcomings and improve yourself. Notice how he's talking about more religious. They have more, more morality and more virtuous. Not necessarily that they prayed more or something like that. The pinnacle of the whole thing is in the person's character. The pinnacle of the whole thing is in their character. How do they act? How do they treat people? How do they take care of the rights of others? In worldly matters, it is better to befriend people who are below you. If you are with people who are financially more backward than you, I think that's a bad translation, but financially lower than you, you will be grateful for your financial situation. However, if you, are people, if you are with people who are richer than you, you will not be happy with your financial situation, and you may fall into greed to become richer. You may also flatter the rich simply because of their wealth. Also very interesting, right? And very true. I'm sure we've seen it, right? When we're around good people, we want to be better. When we're around people who have more than us financially, we always want more. It's never enough. Whatever we have, it's never enough. Because like so-and-so has this, and so-and-so has this, and this has that. Even if we're not thinking it, we feel it. You know, we feel like, and, and that's also one of the challenges of marketing, right? Uh, is that you feel it. Feel like I don't have enough. Even though I'm like, wait a second, I have enough. Like it's, what I have is sufficient. But I keep wanting more, keep wanting more. So if I'm with, but if I'm with people who have less than me financially, then I'll always be reminding myself, like, it'll be very clear to me, like, alhamdulillah, I'm okay. I, I, what I have is sufficient and I'm okay. So that's number 37. We'll stop here, inshallah. Uh, if there's any comments or questions or anything before we close. Yeah, inshallah, we'll be here next week. Anyone? Oh, wow, competing hands. All right, I don't know. Do a four-way rock, paper, scissor. See who wins. Yes, me. <laughs> Your hand is going down. Yes, me. That's a really good question. Uh, this idea of loving a person while at the same time recognizing what they did was wrong. And then, um, what about respect? Like, can you lose respect for them but still love them? And how do we do this? <laughs> uh, <coughs> you know. One thing I think is that when we have more attention to our own shortcomings, it often gives us a little bit more mercy with others. Even if we still understand it, maybe it takes the edge off it a little bit. Uh, because I realize, okay, I also have a lot of mistakes. The second thing that comes to mind, yeah, these terms are tough. So like, whenever I get stuck on terms, I think about Arabic. All right? So when I think about respect 
In Arabic, we usually use ihtiram, right? What is ihtiram actually? It comes from hurma, right? So the idea is that you're respecting the innate dignity of that person. Like they, they, have, they have a sanctity as a human being, right? Not necessarily that I look up to them or anything else, but that I'm, I'm going to not infringe upon their humanity. Right, as, as uh, through this thing. And then uh, you can still love them, right? In the sense of, I, I, I love them because they're from Bani Adam and because maybe they're even from the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, like they're still, they're still claiming an affiliation with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So out of love of him, I'll have some love for them. And in the end, they're still the children of Adam. Allah created them, you know, and I want good for them. And this thing that they're doing is really bad. Sometimes it's really bad. You know, in theory, it's all nice and well. In reality, it's not easy to do, obviously. But I think that there's certain things that we should remind ourselves in terms of concepts, like these that I just mentioned. I have shortcomings. This is a human being. They have rights, they have dignity, they have honor. Hellfire is real. I don't really want anyone to go to hell. If they could fix it, if they've already died and they just caused a lot of corruption, then you know, alhamdulillah, that there's a hellfire. But if, if they've caused a lot of corruption and they could fix it in some sort of way, they could do some sort of good, they could, you know, may Allah bring their hearts back. Or may He, you know, end them however He wants to end them and take them to hell. You know, that's His choice, subhanAllah. But usually I don't want that for them. And Okay, so all of that being there, but I still have this in my heart. Usually the big thing is to make dua for them. And uh, sometimes that dua has to be really long. The more long and detailed and involved that dua can be, probably means like the further we're going, the more we're digging and chipping out and trying to get things done. But these are generalities, you know. It's hard to, as we always say, it's, it's hard to say more than that in a general setting. Maybe, maybe someone has a case that's specific. Who else? Taha. Uh, we have two questions. The first question is, can you tell me what part of this wrong? But like, I feel like I've read somewhere that like the Prophet Hmm. Interesting question. 
I can't repeat that. But around, uh, you know, it's around innovation in teaching methods and has there been any and, and when it comes to teaching Islam and stuff. Um, I mean, here's the thing. Teaching happens at multiple levels, right? So if we're talking about someone who's really going to specialize in an area of knowledge, there's only so much getting around, like, you pretty much just have to sit down and go through a huge quantity of material, you know? You can, might come up with some, different, some t different techniques and stuff like that, and people will do that, you know? They might, whatever they do, you know? But think about, like, someone who goes to medical school, for example. You go to medical school, there's a huge amount of material you have to master. You can come up with like, okay, they made an interesting video, not an interesting video. In the end of the day, you're going to have to spend thousands of hours banging your head on a book or on some material trying to get it into your head. You know? um, now, how you operationalize that knowledge and like the details of how it gets put in different places and stuff like that, that's another level. It's another layer, so to speak, I think. I think in some ways, some of our education in Islamic studies has actually gone backwards in a way that you probably don't expect me to say. Um, I think that lower, let's say more basic levels of education, or maybe not basic. Islamic education for people who are not going to be scholars in Islam, I feel like it was a lot more natural. Like the, the old school way of doing it was a lot more natural. The way of the Prophet was much more natural. There weren't really classes. <laughs> yeah. There was the khutbah. khutbah. The salat was longer than the khutbah. Right? And there would be times maybe when someone sits down and like learns a hadith or they learn a passage from the Qur'an and they learn what it means. And then they live their life. Right? And they live their life and the Prophet lives amongst them and he's constantly reminding them of certain things and pointing out certain things and teaching certain things as they live with him. And through that, they learn everything they need to learn. Because in a sense, the content that needs to be learned is actually very little, in a sense. If you're not specializing. If you're going to specialize, there's endless things to know, right? But if you're not specializing, the content is not actually that much. The challenge is learning how to live it and do it, right? And so I think that the Prophet Wasallam's educational model was a lot more being with the people. And I think that we don't have that. Um, and if we even had people who were to do that, they would be called to task for doing that. So what do I mean? Okay. Let's say a community is hiring for an imam. And by imam, I don't necessarily mean person who leads salah only. Even the idea that, you, that they have to lead this many of number of salat and stuff is a little bit mukhtalifi. It's a little bit problematic. Uh, you know, you're going to lead 12 salat and we're going to pay you this much. It's a little bit. But the idea is more like we're going to 
salary this person to live amongst us. So imagine they came, they gave Juma. They were there in the masjid regularly, they led Salat. Other times other people led Salat. Other times there's people who also want to learn Qur'an. So they teach them Qur'an, they can lead Salat, you know, sometimes days. And then they go and they live their life. They visit this person in their store. This person wants to see them. This person invites them to their house. They go, this person wants to have tea. And they go and do that. And they spend their whole week like that. Weeks upon weeks they spend like that. And what's going to happen in the end? Is the board in the community is going to complain. People from the community are going to come. They're going to say, we pay him to be the imam and he's not here for salat. And the board's going to come and they're going to say, we pay him to teach these classes and do this and this and this. And he hasn't been giving the lectures. He's not doing it. You know? And everyone's going to complain. And in reality, that person probably actually changed the lives of more people than anything else. We don't have a system that does it. Even when it comes to Islamic studies for kids, like I've, I've uh, I don't have, you know, I I've personally feel that I'm a very ignorant person. So whenever I'm sharing ideas, you can feel free to just completely reject them and throw them in the garbage. They need to be refined, you know. But sometimes I think about like kids' education, and I don't know, like. I feel like if you sat down with a kid for like 15 minutes, also part of Islamic education in the past was not like this at all. It was like, say, you're studying fiqh, right? You would go to the shaykh, take two or three, four lines of the fiqh, he'd explain it, you understand what it means, and you sit down and you memorize it. That's your lesson for the day. You come back, maybe it's an hour class. 10, 15 minutes of the class is that you understood what it means, 45 minutes is you go and memorize it. You come back the next day, you do the same thing. Come back the next day, you do the same thing. Right? <clears throat> it's not that you're sitting and like hearing a lecture in this way. It's a very different, you know. Um, imagine, like books weren't super available. You know, uh, you'd have to copy them. The whole system was different. But if a person learns in that way, then they really know it at the end. I don't know. I don't know. I, f I feel like there's a... <coughs> the usage of poetry songs. Yeah. Yeah, you memorize them. Poetry, songs. You memorize poetry. You know? Everything you need to know about good characters in one poem that you memorized when you were eight years old. You're good for life. You know? Even in English, there's this idea. That book, uh, everything I need, to, I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. You guys ever seen it? It's really beautiful. You should look it up if you haven't seen it. Everything I needed to know about life, I learned in kindergarten. There's a lot of it is true. But I feel like what I'm trying to get at too is that I feel like there's basic levels that we have to learn, and then a lot of what we really need is more in sohba than anything else. It's spent in conversation and discussion and living life together. Then everything becomes clear. And without that, like, people could listen to thousands, like, now, especially with the internet, you could listen to probably a thousand hours of fiqh and not be a fiqh. Because you just didn't understand how it works. And you're not going to understand how it works until you sit with someone who does it, you know? Like, you go to Dar al-Iftah in Egypt, the house of Fatwa in Egypt, and you learn things that you're not going to get like from the chapter on divorce. 
you know. But because they're dealing with the fiqh of divorce every single day, they understand. Like, okay, you do this thing, you do this thing. So this, it needs their apprenticeship. Our Islam as a whole needs apprenticeship for everyone at every level. Uh, I think that's where we've, we've gotten worse, I think, actually. Um, but you had a second question. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe one much less class needed might hang out with you, I guess. But my second question is... I would uh, love that. I would actually prefer not to teach. And so, honestly, I'm at this point, and online, like, I actually feel, especially when we finish the seminary, I actually feel that pretty much everything I need to teach will have already been done. Unless we start like another layer of the seminary that's actually training people to be like scholars or something, it'll be different. But for the regular public, I actually feel like I've taught pretty much everything that needs to be taught and the recordings are there. So I'm kind of like, you could just go, we could just come sit together, <laughs> you know, discuss whatever. And, but I think people would get upset. They'll be like, oh, you know, this is, they stopped coming. I'm like, okay, it's not a, he didn't do anything. He just likes his tea and he's lazy. It's true, but still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even on the subject of people, right? Like, I feel yeah. like we're hearing a lot of this stuff, but I feel like if you and I were kicking it and I saw you do something really wukua-based, right? I feel like that would probably stick with me a lot longer than something that came up in, in the class. Like, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, my second question is just this idea, like, I understand, right? Like, that obviously, like, if you spend time with people who are wealthier, Mm. But also from this idea of, right, like, that we're trying to build a community of kind of strength. Like you said, like, oh, like, keeping the mic strength like, amongst us and different things, right? Like, and, like, you are, like, mm. your friends are, right? People actively suggest, right, like, if you spend time with wealthy people, you'll start adapting their mindset mm. and their strategy mm. and their, like, mm. you'll start understanding, oh, like, rich people think in systems and mm. think in, like, right? So I'm just curious about that, that kind of, I don't know, tension. That's true, too. It's a good point. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think we should do that too. <coughs> yeah. Well, not losing sight of things, you know. And I think actually one of the blessings of the Muslim community is that it's really easy to straddle multiple worlds. Far easier than when you're not in the Muslim community. Maybe some people don't realize that. Like, there are places that I couldn't go and people that I couldn't talk to before that I would very comfortably do now as a Muslim. Um, and, you know, the community gives us that ability. Like, you can go into really wealthy pockets of the community and you can go into pockets that are really struggling very easily. So I think that we should benefit from that. You know, be around people that... Be around both. And you're right, there is culture to these things. You know, there is culture, there's a way of thinking, there's a way of analyzing, there's, there's knowledge. Again, there's knowledge that you get in just being around people. So there's a certain knowledge of how to do things that we learn from being around people. Um, you know, definitely, like anything that, most anything that I know around anything in these stuff is because of my dad. It's not because of anyone else. I'm just like spending time with him. They'll talk to me about this and that and so on and so forth and you know. So yeah, we need to do that. We need to do that too. Thank you.
It's actually what we wanted from the Majlis. It's part of it. Is that everyone would come sit together, be together. So you have people with different backgrounds. They, maybe we can still do it. Maybe we can make the lesson shorter and then sit. You know, and talk. And, but the problem, managing conversation is a very difficult thing. Hopefully all of the things that we've learned so far, we can bring them into how we talk. You know? Um, that's one thing about the shaykh. You see sometimes, like some of the big shaykhs, they'll sit in a gathering and they won't say anything. Or very little. But one of the benefits of it is that everyone else who's in the gathering controls their speech because they're in front of the shaykh. So they won't be too long-winded. They won't say things they shouldn't say. They won't push things they shouldn't push because they're controlling themselves because the shaykh is there. <laughs> and you're like, subhanAllah, this is good. <laughs> yeah. Khair, Allah give us tawfiq. I'll give us tawfiq. Anyone else have anything before we close? Yes. So this love and conflict situation, what if it's a family member, they're very close to you, are you obligated to tell them that they did this thing that's bothering you, that's wrong, that's so on? I mean, in the end, there's, um, we hold all of these concepts, the importance of giving advice, the importance of receiving advice, loving people, caring for people, all these kind of things. And one of the overarching principles that governs all of those principles is Adarar Yuzad. Harm is removed. Harm is removed. So to answer that question is very difficult to say other than in the context of what's going to lead to the least amount of harm. So Okay, we're their family, we have this, we have that, we have this, okay, this is the personality, this is the situation, this is, okay. How am I, what's the, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> what is the response that's going to lead to, I'm actually not choked up, I'm just choking. <laughs> Sometimes I do choke up, but I'm not right now, I'm just choking. Um, what is the response that's going to lead to the least amount of harm? Please. Thank you. It's fine. It'll survive. Thank you. Oh, perfect. Bounce pass. Bounce pass. Two, the bounce is supposed to be two-thirds the way before you and the person. <clears throat> so what's going to lead to the least harm? If me telling them is going to lead to less harm, then I should probably tell them. If it's going to lead to more harm, I probably can't tell them. And I think the reality is that if we think about our family lives and stuff, probably all of us can think about situations where we have relationships with people that we just really can't tell them. I'm just trying to control it as best as I can. Making dua that it alleviates itself somehow. Because it's just not going anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Just a 
Last one. We'll let you guys go. Yes. Yeah. It's a beautiful poem. <coughs> it starts with The there's no joy in life like keeping the company of an fuqara. And fuqara are those who are knowledgeable of their and their need of Allah. There's no joy in life like being in the company of these people. They're the true sultans and the true sayyids and the true emirs. They're the true rulers. They're the actual kings and queens of this earth, are these people. Yeah. So have good, so keep their company and have good manners in their company, and leave, no matter how much they put you forward, leave your own desires behind. It's a beautiful poem. Mashallah. <coughs> I would say maybe one day we can study it, but I don't know that we will. <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's a little bit like higher. Maybe, maybe one day. Mashallah. Subhanakum bihamdik nashalwa na ilaha ila an nastawfiwik wa natubu ilayk Allahumma inna nas'alaka al-huda wa tuqa wa al-afafa wa al-ghina Allahumma astulna bi sitrika al-jameel Allahumma astulna bi sitrika al-jameel Allahumma inna nas'alaka al-afu al-afiyah wa al-mu'afat al-daima fi al-dini wa al-dunya wa al-akhira Rabbana atina fi al-dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa arqina adhabina Rabbana la tuzin qulubana ba'da idh hadaytana wa hablana min ladunka rahma innaka anta al-wahab ربنا آتنا من لدنك رحمة وهيئ لنا من أمرنا رشدا نصر من الله وفتح قريب وبشر المؤمنين اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطن باطنا وزقنا اجتنابه اللهم ارزقنا حسن الخاتمة اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن إبارتك يا عالم السر منا لا تهتك الستر عنا وعافنا وعف عنا وكن لنا حيث كنا اللهم انقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من الغفلة عنك اللهم اجعل آخر كلامنا لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله عدد كمال الله وكما يليق بكمال سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين Allah accept from all of you and us. <coughs> oh. So what do you think? What's the vote? Oh, I didn't stop this.